what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can get us every week at uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, And as always, you can follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Before we get going this week, I want to say thanks to uh, my friend uh, Dominic Cucinata came on last week to uh, Guest Friday talking Patriots, did a Patriots season preview. Obviously, uh, things didn't exactly turn out the way that uh, we all planned yesterday. We'll get into more of that, obviously, but great to talk with Dom. You know, Dom's a good friend of mine, you know, always good to talk Patriots with him. Um, So that was a great conversation. Looking forward to uh, Guest Friday later this week with a returning guest, as I said. So I'm looking forward to that. but I think let's just get into it. You know, it's uh, could be could be a better day uh, if you're a Patriots fan waking up this morning and you know taking a look at the newspaper and you know having uh, nightmares about yesterday's game. I don't think it was as bad as that, but I think that you know clearly not a good way for the Patriots to start the season. You know, that's where we're we're starting today. You know, I think uh, it clearly I think. When the clock hit zero, you know, and you're thinking about the game, you know, clearly the game did not go as planned, you know, and I think that it clearly the Patriots had some good flashes in that game yesterday, but I think, and I'll probably repeat myself a million times today, but I think it came down to turnovers, you know, and I think that it came down to big moments in the game that went against the Patriots, and I think that if you have these big, you know, momentum-changing plays and you are on the wrong end of them, you're not going to win the game. And I think that the Patriots clearly didn't get the big plays to go their way. You know, and they went the Dolphins' way. And, you know, I think that, yeah, you know, simple as that. Came down to turnovers and you lose the, you lose the turnover battle 3 nothing you're not going to win the game, you know, and I think that that's just kind of basic math, and I think one of the things we talked about last week was keeping turnovers down, you know, if they do that, they have a good chance to win, and they didn't keep the turnovers down, and, you know, really were playing from behind the entire game, which, you know, kind of seems like it's a, it's a theme down there in Miami, unfortunately, that, you know, bad things happen, and the Patriots are always playing from behind, and, you know, playing from behind and then having chances to get back in the game, you know, and not take advantage of those. If you think about, you know, McCourty or uh, Bryant, excuse me, dropping that interception in the fourth quarter, you know, the, if you think about that was a big opportunity, you know, the Patriots forcing a fumble on Miami's first drive, unable to recover it, Dolphins kick a field goal. Um, and then you think about Aguilar's fumble in the fourth quarter, which pretty much put the game away. You know, I think that it's just big mistakes, big momentum-changing plays that the Patriots were on the wrong side of, you know, and I think that that really is kind of what the story of yesterday's game is. You know, I think that everyone wants to make it out to be something more than that, but I don't believe so, you know, and I think that Belichick saw it the same way, you know, if you paid attention to any of his comments he made after the game, what he said was it really came down to two plays, you know, and that's kind of how it shaped out. You know, I think if you look at the two plays, and I don't know exactly the two plays he was referring to, you know, I think you could guess 
the you know fumble recovery touchdown by Melvin Ingram in the second quarter. Could have been referring to that, and then could have been referring to the Jalen Waddle touchdown at the end of the first half. Those are probably the two plays he was referring to. Um, but I also think there were a couple of other plays that you know kind of changed the tide of the game. You know, clearly the Aguilar fumble, and then clearly the interception on the first drive of the game, which you know could have easily been called pass interference or holding, and you know would have given the Patriots an automatic first down and a first and ten inside the or a first and goal. You know, and I think that clearly if the call had gone their way, they probably score a touchdown on that first drive. You know, and I think that one of the positive things is the offense kind of showed some flashes in that game. You know, obviously throughout the entire game, they weren't as good as they should have been. But I do think that that opening drive, they moved the ball pretty effectively. You know, you think about that 92-yard touchdown drive they had to open the third quarter or like the first possession of the third quarter. That it's like, that's not an offense that is as bad as people are making it out to be. And sure, Seven points in a football game is not good enough to win. And I'm not trying to say that the offense played great. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I do think that there were moments in that game where the offense moved the ball and they moved the ball pretty effectively. You know, I think that for the most part, the offensive line kept Mac Jones upright. Obviously, there were a couple of plays where he took some big hits. Um, You know, if you think about the Melvin Ingram sack fumble, you know, that was a, a blocker that, or that was a defensive player that came in unblocked, you know, and had laid a big hit on Mac Jones. And then, you know, clearly the roughing the passer penalty, uh, which I think a lot of people are pointing to um, as to why Mac Jones had to get a back x ray after the game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think looking at the game as a whole, you know, really came down to turnovers. And I think that that really was. The story of the game you know I think that offensively certainly there are things that the Patriots would like to fix you know I think that the running game wasn't exactly as effective as it could have been um, you know Damian Harris was the leading rusher 48 yards it didn't really seem like the Patriots were interested in kind of establishing the run which you know I think it's a it's a game planning decision I think that Mac Jones for you know, kind of to the pedestrian game that he had, I don't really think he played that poorly. You know, I think really, you look at that interception, could have easily been called a penalty. Um, It was underthrown a little bit, but, you know, I think for the most part, he was pretty accurate, hit a couple of deep throws, uh, one to Kendrick Bourne, one to Jacoby Myers, um, which Myers made an unbelievable catch. Um, But I think... You know, clearly, when you look at this offense, I think that it has its limitations. And I think that that might be a good word because this is not an offense that's going to, you know, blow the doors off of any teams. This is not an offense that you should expect to score 30 points a game. You know, this is an offense that, sure, maybe is a little bit more on the conservative side, but I think that this is an offense that predicates itself on protecting the football, you know, and not not, you know, putting itself into positions where there's a lot of high risk, you know, offensive plays, whether you're throwing a lot of 50-50 balls up or things like that. You know, this is not an offense that's built to score 30 points a game. And so you can't have the mentality that, oh my God, they need to be throwing it down the field all the time. You know, certainly we would like to see them do more of it, 
but I think it's also like you have to be smart and you have to understand the capabilities of guys that you have on offense. You know, this is not an offense that's going to be putting up 30, 35 points every game. They don't have a Patrick Mahomes. You know, they don't, they don't have the ability to kind of be an offense that just throws it, you know, throwing 50-yard bombs left and right and having high risk for interceptions. You know, that's not what, that's not what this offense is, is when, that is not what this offense is when it's at its most successful. You know, and I think that clearly, yes, there are some people that would like to see the Patriots air it out, throw balls down the field. And absolutely, I think I would like to see that, like to see that too. But I do think there is a point where you can be too aggressive and you can be a team that has a high turnover rate. It's just this Patriots offense cannot be afford, cannot afford to be an offense like that, that turns the ball over two, three times a game and you expect to win. You know, they can't do that. You know, this is not a Cincinnati Bengals Joe Burrow that can throw four interceptions like he did yesterday and they still have a chance to win. It's just this Patriots offense is not built that way. And I think that people kind of need to understand that. It's an offense that I think can be pretty decent, you know, at its highest level. You know, we're not expecting that this team's going to be Tom Brady, Randy Moss scoring 30 points a game. You know, you can't expect that. You know, I think that they have to work with what they have. Um, and what they have, I think, is a decent offense when they're playing at their best. You know, you know, playing playing explosive or have, getting explosive plays constantly is not the only way to be successful at this level. You know, we saw this Patriots team win 10 games last year. And they really were not very explosive offensively. It's not the only way to win. But I do think that, you know, you can't turn the ball over three times. You can't have these big, you know, game-changing plays happen against you, you know, and expect to win. So, you know, I think that certainly it's a disappointing way to start the year. You would have liked this team to come out with a win in Miami, you know. But this is not a loss that should you know, necessarily surprise anyone. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a weird thing to say, but like, this is a team that the Patriots have struggled with for a couple of years, and it's week one. You know, this this Patriots team has never been a team that has it all figured out in week one. You know, they've never been this way, even when Tom Brady was here. This is not a team that has everything figured out. After the first game, you know, it's going, there's going to be growing pains. As I think I explained many, many times this summer that, you know, they're installing kind of a new different offense and it's going to take some time. You know, it's not going to be all perfect week one. You can't expect this team to put up 27 points in the first game. You know, I think that it's going to take some time, but I think clearly this is a team that if turnovers are high, they're not going to be a successful team, you know, and I think that if this team can clean up the turnovers, can clean up those, you know, big momentum changing plays, they're going to be fine. You know, I think that that's really kind of the, the story of yesterday where it's like turnovers affected the game and they affect most games. You know, most teams that are a minus three in the turnover margin are going to lose. So 
I think if the Patriots don't turn the ball over yesterday, they probably win. You know, I think that you have that first drive that maybe results in a touchdown if there's a penalty that's called and should have been called. Um, does the game turn out differently? Absolutely. You know, I think that kind of taking a look at the defense, I thought that, you know, minus that waddle touchdown on just an awful breakdown on that last play before the half, the defense played pretty well, you know, really only allowed a couple field goals. You know, the only other touchdown the Dolphins scored was a defensive touchdown. So, you know, they did a good job keeping Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in front of them. You know, they didn't really get beat deep on any deep throws. They kind of kept Tyreek Hill in front of them. Obviously, he got a lot of receptions, got a lot of yards, but the Patriots did not allow him to take over the game. So I thought that the secondary did all right. You know, they had a couple chances to come up with some interceptions, which would have been huge, you know. So I think it's just hoping that you can make those plays when it matters most. You know, if you're thinking about the Bryant dropped interception, you're thinking about... You know, Jack Jones going up for that 50-50 ball on Tyree Kill. You know, if both of those guys come down with those interceptions, the game changes. So I think it's really just those big plays. Can the Patriots come up with those big plays when it matters most? And, you know, I think that's really the biggest question going forward. Um, we need the defense to make some plays like that. And I thought that they played okay yesterday. I really thought they did. I thought that the defense gave the offense as many chances as it could get to win the game, you know, and the offense kind of gave away the chances that they had. So, you know, I think certainly overall a disappointing feeling, but I don't think it's, you know, anything that we're going to bury the team and be like, oh my God, it's awful. It's terrible. It's, you know, if they, it's, it's what, what I told you it was going to be, you know, there's a whole lot of that going around. Uh, yesterday and today, but I do think that this is a team that if they clean up the turnovers and they clean up, you know, those big plays and they start making those, they're going to be fine. Um, I think that um, some of the other notes from yesterday, obviously, um, Adrian Phillips had to leave the game with an injury. It appears that he has a, uh, a rib injury. We don't know the full extent of that. Um, and then Mac Jones obviously had to get a back x-ray after the game. We don't really know the severity. It did sound like the x-rays were negative. So, you know, here's hoping it's just a couple of extra bruises um, that he got yesterday. You know, obviously didn't have to leave the game. So that's at least encouraging. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. It sounded like he will go undergo some further stuff when they get back to Foxborough. Um, so we'll see. And I think just kind of a couple of other leftover thoughts from yesterday's game. Obviously, Kendrick Bourne didn't make much of an impact yesterday. was on the field for two plays, I believe. Or he was targeted twice. Or I'm not sure exactly what that was, but he did have the one reception um, in the second half, a 40-yard bomb down the field. So it's kind of um, curious as to why he wasn't in the game. You know, I think that there are people that are speculating that, you know, the training camp that he had, he didn't really perform the way that we would expect, you know, and expect from a guy who had a really good year last year. And I think that there's, I think, a lot of things going around that obviously he was involved in a couple of fights during training camp, which 
you know, that's something that will definitely get you in the doghouse here. And, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like he kind of wasn't the same, you know, energetic type of guy yesterday. Wasn't really in the game. You know, who knows? You know, who knows if that is a message sent by Bill Belichick? Is that just kind of how the game shook out, as Bill said? You know, it's hard to know. But I do think it was interesting. He actually was... Belichick, I think, gave his morning interview um, on the Greg Hill Show on WEI this morning and, you know, had some things to say about Kendrick Bourne. And I don't know the full quote, but it was something like, you know, it was something along the lines of you wouldn't, ex or now I'm obviously forgetting what the exact quote was, but um, he, like, you know, spoke a couple sentences about him, which, I don't know, that tells me that he's not really in you know, the doghouse as people think he is, you know, it could just be that it just was a game plan thing yesterday and it just so happened that he didn't really get in the game much. It's kind of interesting, you know, the Dolphins had uh, their second corner cornerback, uh, Nick Needham, was not really targeted much in that game, which was kind of interesting as, you know, obviously you had Xavier Howard on one end you know, I'm not sure why the Patriots didn't target Nick Needham more in that game. And, you know, who knows? Um, but I do think that, you know, comment that Belichick made, it wasn't like a short thing. It wasn't like a, you know, one sentence, one word answer. You know, he gave an answer, which leads me to believe that, okay, maybe it's kind of overblown that, oh, he's in the doghouse. Um, but who knows? You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens the rest of the year. But you know, you would like him to be involved in the offense um, and not, you know, being a distraction, which I think is kind of the biggest red flag in this organization where if a player is a distraction, you know, they're, they should not be part of the team. So, you know, it'll be interesting to pay attention to. Hopefully Kendrick uh, has a good attitude and the Patriots, you know, put him in the game. But I will just say that if if some of these things are true that are coming out that, you know, maybe he was upset about the offense, you know, that's not really something that we should be rewarding a player for. You know, if a player is having issues with the new system that they're running, you know, it's kind of on the player to, you know, be able to be flexible. And if that player is not and becomes a distraction, it should not be that that player gets rewarded for you know, acting out, you know, but who knows, you know, that could all just be speculation. It could all just be just kind of a smokescreen. And yesterday just ended up being a game where he just happened to not be involved very much. You know, who knows? It's kind of hard to know there. So, you know, that's kind of all I have in terms of like leftover thoughts from that game yesterday. Um, you know, this is a Patriots team that's going to start the season on the road you know, two straight games, first in Miami, and then they'll be going to Pittsburgh next week. Pittsburgh's interesting because I think just on the surface, going into that game yesterday, it kind of looked like it was going to be a hard opponent, you know, TJ Watt, how good that defense is. But I'll be honest, the Steelers really didn't look very good yesterday. I know that they won, took them to the last seconds in overtime, but this was a team that forced... This is a team that forced like four or five turnovers yesterday, and they only won by a field goal in overtime. That doesn't really lead me to believe that this is an opponent that's going to be very challenging. You know, you look at Mitch Trubisky. He had a worse game than Mac Jones did yesterday. You know, eight more 
attempts throwing the ball and had 194 yards compared to 213 for Mac Jones yesterday. So, you know, this is a team that Najee Harris left the game with an injury. doesn't sound like the injury is serious, but he didn't have a great day. And then T.J. Watt, as I mentioned, the team believes that he uh, tore his pectoral muscle. So, you know, obviously he probably won't be available this week. So I think that helps the Patriots. And I think that, again, it's going to come down to turnovers. If the Patriots take care of the football, play the way that they did defensively, they're probably going to win. You know, I know that there are some people that lead you to believe that this situation is a lot worse than it actually is. Um, but I think that this is a game that's going to be a toss-up. And it kind of was a toss-up yesterday in terms of, you know, you looked at some of the picks, you looked at, you know, oh, the Patriots were, or the Dolphins were favored by three and a half. You know, everyone's picks were, oh my God, 21 to 20, 24, 21, something like that. You know, that was one of my predictions too. So I think it's going to be a very similar game against the Steelers and it's going to come down to taking care of the football, you know, making the kind of momentum changing plays. But again, I don't really think Pittsburgh did a lot yesterday that makes you think, oh my God, you know, this is a team that the Patriots are going to have no chance against. You know, it's not like they're playing the Bills week two. You know, they're playing a Pittsburgh team that I think is going to be very similar to the Patriots. You know, a team that's going to rely on their defense and rely on their running game. The Steelers definitely do have, maybe talent-wise, maybe they have better wide receivers, but it's like you got Mitch Trubisky back there, which he's never really been much of a proven, you know, big-time quarterback. I mean, certainly he's played on teams that have won games that have made the playoffs, but I think it's more based on the defenses that he had when he played in Pittsburgh, so, or uh, Chicago, I should say. Um, but again, you know, I don't think this is a terribly challenging game for the Patriots, especially if T.J. Watt's not going to be available. Pittsburgh's defense is still a very good opportunistic defense, which is why the Patriots need to be absolutely careful. You know, you took a look at the interceptions that Pittsburgh had yesterday picked off Joe Burrow four times. So, you know, you can't lose the turnover battle. It sounds simple, but it's like that's pretty much how it goes. If the Patriots can control the ball, control the clock, you know, do what they did for a couple flashes yesterday, they should be fine and they should win this game. You know, I think that, I think quick looking at it, it's probably a toss-up, but you know, I do think yesterday's game was winnable. Without those big mistakes, the Patriots probably win. So I don't think that this is a Pittsburgh team that's really as dangerous as people think. You know, they weren't impressive yesterday, no matter what anyone wants to tell you. Um, so I think the Patriots do have a good chance of winning this game. So um, I do like the Patriots, and I think the quick the quick look at it, they are actually favored, which is kind of wild. So, you know, obviously pay attention to how that changes during the week, which undoubtedly it will. But I do think the Patriots have a very good chance um, of winning this game next week and evening their record. So I think we're going to move on, move away from the Patriots, not away from the, or yes, away from the Patriots. We'll return to talk NFL uh, later in the podcast when we take a look at uh, the scores from week one. We're going to move on to talk about the Red Sox, who, you know, it's still kind of more of the same. Um, unfortunately, the Red Sox 
uh, dropping all three games in Tampa Bay earlier this week, um, losing an opener to Baltimore this weekend, but then they responded with uh, two wins against the Orioles. They win this series, winning one to nothing yesterday. Rich Hill with five shutout innings, and following a 17 to four win over the Orioles on Saturday night, in which the offense really came alive. Um, so I think, um, look, the Red Sox are going to be what they're going to be, you know, and I think that it's kind of just how it's going to be, you know, and we talked about this last week, you know, I think that the chances for the playoffs are pretty much out the window, um, and so it pretty much is just how do these young guys play, you know, and it's kind of just watching these guys and continuing to be able to watch some guys that, you know, might re-up for next year, taking a look at someone like Michael Walker, who's been outstanding when he's been healthy, um, you know, and the, the I think the flashes of the offensive firepower, you know, it's, it's great to see, although, you know, you would like it to be a little bit more consistent, but I think it is kind of a, you know, it's frustrating because it's like you take a look at this offense and it's like they are capable of putting up games like this. And that was kind of the hope at the beginning of the year that, okay, you know, you lost um, a couple of big bats, Schwarber, Hunter, Renfro, but you still figured to have enough offensively. And it really hasn't worked out that way this season, um, unfortunately. You know, Devers and Bogarts have kind of been the consistent offensive guys, and that's pretty much been it. Um, you know, Trevor Story's been solid when he's been in the in the lineup. Hasn't exactly hit for a high average, but is still a solid player. Same thing with J.D. Martinez, and I think you hoped that, you know, okay, this is going to be a team that's not going to have any issues offensively. Um, but, you know, things happened. You know, the Red Sox got hit with the injury bug at the worst possible time, and, you know, they're in a position where they're not making the postseason, and you know, have to just take a look at some of these, you know, younger players that are getting an opportunity. It's great to see that uh, Tristan Cassis is back up, hit his first major league home run last week. So, you know, the signs are certainly there for him. Um, and I think that, yeah, it gives you a great opportunity to see him as potentially a first baseman of the future and someone that I think legitimately has a chance to be the starting everyday first baseman when the season starts next year. So, it's good to see some good signs from him. Um, and I think, honestly, it's less about the results right now, and it's more about kind of some individual performances. And you see, you know, guys like Waka who have continued to pitch well um, and, you know, Story being back in the lineup and what he's been able to do when he's been healthy. You know, it's kind of too bad that we've not, we weren't able to see him produce at a full season because I think you would have seen him have a good year. You know, batting average obviously has been down the entire year, but I think has still been a guy that's been able to drive in runs and, you know, do most of the things offensively and defensively that you would expect. Um, he's been amazing defensively at second base this year. You know, really has been able to make the switch from shortstop to second base, you know. However you think it's going to shake out in off season if the Red Sox are going to try to move him back to shortstop, do they want to bring Bogarts back? You know, it'll be interesting to see, but I do think that you're seeing positive signs from him and Waka and some other guys that I think are getting more playing time. Uh, Brian Bayo is another young player that's been getting plenty of opportunities 
in the second half of the year. I thought that he's been pitching better as of late. You know, I think clearly had issues at the start of his major league career, but I think once he's kind of gotten into the swing of things, you've seen some flashes that he can be pretty good. So, you know, he's another guy like Cassis that, you know, you wonder about his spot next year. Do the Red Sox want to bring him on as a starter next year? You know, do they want to start him in the bullpen? What do they do there? You know, I think that there's a lot of options for the rotation because, you know, who knows about Evaldi? You know, I think that there are pros and cons to bringing him back. You know, he's a guy that can be solid, but he's never been able to be healthy for an entire year. You know, you have Chris Sale possibly coming back into the fold to the Red Sox. Think about trying him in the bullpen. You know, that was something that was brought up in a Boston Globe article a number of weeks ago that does it make sense to put him in the bullpen? You know, so he's not expected to be this guy that has to pitch or is expected to pitch 200 innings. I mean, I don't even think he can do that now, but I think that maybe starting him in the bullpen, would that be an idea? You know, I think that there's a lot of moving parts, but I think going back to Bayo, he clearly has this stuff that I think he's good enough to be a starter at some point, but at some point is that next year, you know, is that two years from now, you know, I think the Red Sox would ideally like him to be a starter by the time the season starts next year. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can do, but I think that you're seeing some improvement from him. And I think that's the most important thing that, look, there are a lot of guys that come right into baseball and make a great impact right away. But then there are some guys that struggle out of the gate and, you know, run into some issues. And, you know, the hope is that they can bounce back. There are some guys, you know, Jaron Duran specifically, that, you know, haven't really impressed. And I think the hope is he can try to turn it around and be a contributor in this baseball team. And I think that, unfortunately, he's had some things kind of go against him, whether it was his own doing or not. You know, I think that clearly there are some people that feel that he's put his foot in his mouth a couple times in the media. But I do think that some of the criticism that he got, you know, whether it was warranted or not, I do think had a lot of an effect on him. And, you know, I think he's opened up and talked about that he's had some mental health issues this year. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, there's a lot of intense scrutiny for playing sports in this town. And I think that especially when you're not doing well and you're not doing as well as you want to, you know, you may start to question yourself. And so I think, you know, he's a guy that I think maybe there's still something there, you know, maybe it's perhaps not with this Red Sox organization, maybe it's somewhere else, but, you know, he's a guy that I think I still have some hope I'm still holding out hope that he can still be an effective player. Um, but I think going back to someone like Bayo, he's a guy that started kind of slowly, but now he's kind of started to pick up and has figured out kind of the swing of things. And I think that, unfortunately, the Red Sox flung him into the rotation because they were running through all these injuries. But I do think that it might have been a blessing that this team is kind of out of the playoff chase and they can kind of see what they have in someone like him. Um, and he can have the ability to start some games and the Red Sox aren't feeling like, oh my God, we're making a postseason run. We can't afford to, you know, let some young guys just kind of have an opportunity. So I'm glad that he's getting the opportunity that he's getting. He's looked really good. I thought he had some great uh, strikeouts in that Orioles game on Friday night. So, 
you know, things are things are looking up for him um, in CASA. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they can do uh, with potentially a larger role next season. So um, one of the other kind of big bits of Red Sox news, the Red Sox decided to uh, give a new contract to Kike Hernandez, giving him um, a one-year deal worth $10 million. So I'll be honest, this was a contract that I don't think I was really expecting. Uh, you know, Kike has been a guy that unfortunately has had a lot of injuries this year, had a hip injury that's kept him out of a lot of games. You know, he's only played in 73 games this year after playing in 134 last year for the Sox and being a pretty good leadoff hitter, hitting 20 home runs, driving in 60 runs, having, you know, one of the best seasons of his career. Um, so I, I think I like it initially. You know, I said this to someone that Kike's a guy that I've always liked as a player. You know, I think that is a good, solid defensive center fielder. You know, he's not going to be blowing anyone away. You know, I think that he's done an admirable job out there defensively. And I think that at the plate, you know, he's a solid hitter. You know, I don't think, again, I don't think he's an amazing player. He's not a guy that's ever going to make an all-star team. But I think that he's one of those glue guys and one of those important guys in the locker room that guys enjoy having him around. And I think that he's a good presence in that locker room. And I think that the positives definitely outweigh the negatives in this player. And I think, you know, had he been fully healthy for most of the season, who knows, you know, could have had a better season, but I think that it shows, you know, some loyalty in this player that, okay, the Red Sox are like, okay, we understand you had a down year, you were hurt, um, but they want to invest in a guy like this, who I think has, for the time that he's been healthy, has been a pretty good guy in center field. You know, he's not really much of a downgrade from Jackie Bradley defensively. I mean, Jackie, obviously, we know what he can do defensively, but I think that Kike has done an admirable job filling in for him in the last, uh, whatever, like last season, and then parts of this year. Well, parts of this year they were playing together, but I think there's not much of a drop-off in what you have defensively in center field. So you would think that he starts the year in center field next year, Um but it is interesting because I think that the Red Sox are probably hoping that, you know, Duran was going to make more of an impact than he that he did. Um, and so, you know, maybe the thought is, you know, is Duran still in the plans or is Kike going to be there and, you know, hold the spot for maybe a younger player coming up, like a younger outfielder? I don't know at the moment if they have anyone like that, but could Kike be a bridge to whoever kind of that next guy in center field is going to be. But, you know, overall, I like the player. I think that he'll probably start next year. And who knows, does he get does he get pushed out of a job in training camp or uh, spring training? Or does he get pushed out of a job during the season? Who knows? But I think having him, having him on the roster, having the ability for him to, you know, play second base or play the outfield, he's played the outfield majority, <clears throat> majority of the time with the Red Sox. Um, but I think that he's still a guy that can make an impact. And I think the Red Sox see that and see that, okay, we want to have as many impact players as we can on the roster. So I like the move. You know, honestly, I don't really have a big reaction to it because I don't think that, <clears throat> I don't really think there's anything about his game that, 
lead you to believe that, okay, you know, he's not a good player. So um, really excited with that. You know, it was interesting that, you know, Kike kind of alluded that when he signed that contract that Bloom kind of, you know, told him that the Red Sox do, you know, intend to be a big contenders next season. So who knows what that means? You know, who knows if that means the Red Sox are willing to go out and spend more money? You know, are they willing to bring back Bogarts if he opts out? Are they wanting to get uh, Rafael Devers signed to a long-term deal? You know, I think that it's hard to kind of feel confident about this team just based on what we've seen this year. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, they bring back a Kike Hernandez who was really good for this team last year. Um, Just has not been healthy for most of the year, so... I'm kind of not sure what it means, but I think um, it does tell you that I think the Red Sox are serious about trying to build a you know winning team for next season. So I'm excited to uh, see what happens with that. Um, taking a look at the Red Sox schedule <coughs> for the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, Red Sox are off today against, or are off today. And then they open a two-game set with the Yankees um, at Fenway. So Red Sox off today, a quick two-game set against the Yankees Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Brian Bayo starts on Wednesday night, and then the Red Sox will welcome the Kansas City Royals for a three-game set this weekend. Red Sox, interestingly enough, have two off days this week, uh, today and Thursday. So Yankees and Kansas City, and then the Red Sox will be out on the road in Cincinnati and New York after that. So I think that's it for the Red Sox. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins, who um, are starting captain's practices this week. It's uh, something that the Bruins... I think most teams do, you know, before the start of training camp. So the Bruins will start kind of these unofficial practices where, you know, some guys have the option. So it's kind of just optional practices that you might see reports that, okay, you know, Bergeron's practicing with, you know, a slew of guys that are going to be on the roster this season. You know, someone like Zaka, maybe you see Krejci do some of these, uh, Taylor Hall, you know, you probably see some guys that are going to be getting, you know, some skates, some practices in. Um, but it's, it's not, not anything official this week. So, you know, it's not really anything that you're going to see your coaching staff or anything like that. You know, it's kind of just impromptu skating sessions this week. But it will be good to see uh, some of the Bruins back on the ice. Uh, the Bruins do have a rookie camp that starts later this week. So that will be interesting uh, if you pay attention to any of the... Uh, Bruins uh, Twitter folks, you know, definitely this is a week to be able to check in on some of their youngsters. Um, So I believe we take a look. I feel like that there was something on the Bruins website that I was trying to find um, earlier. Um, In terms of the rookie tournament. Um, and whether that's going to be whether that's going to be available to watch, um, 
unclear on that, but the tournament does start on September 15th on Thursday. Uh, the Bruins will be playing games against prospects from the Sabres, the Senators, the Canadians, the Devils, and the Penguins. I don't believe the Bruins are playing all of these teams. I think they have games against Ottawa, Pittsburgh, and then New Jersey. Um, so all games um, all games will have a lot of Bruins' recent draft picks. Um, good chance that you see Fabian Lysel um, and Brett Harrison play in some of these. I'll take a look at some other guys that might be playing in a moment, but um, the schedule is uh, this tournament takes place Thursday to Monday of next week um, in Buffalo. Um, so the Bruins will have rookie guy, rookies reporting to rookie camp uh, tomorrow, I believe. Um, and then they'll have practices tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, and then they'll take the trip to uh, Buffalo. So it'll be an opportunity for, you know, some of these younger guys in the organization to get a chance. You know, Lysel, um, Brett Harrison, as I mentioned, Johnny Beecher probably will play, be playing in these. Uh, Georgie Merkulov might be playing as well. Um, I think that the roster will be released later today. Unfortunately, it's we're recording too early to get that roster, but uh, be sure to look on uh, any social media for that. Uh, some other some defensemen that might be playing. Uh, Ryan Mast, who the Bruins signed to his entry level deal earlier this summer, he'll probably be playing. He was a guy that was a sixth round pick in twenty twenty one. And then, of course, the Bruins will probably have some uh, young players that were drafted this season probably will be playing. Uh, Matthew Plotra, I think most likely, will probably, you'll see him playing a little bit, which would be good to see him playing at kind of like kind of an NHL level. You know, it's hard to kind of know because he'll just be playing against rookies. But um, I think Frederick Brunet might also be a guy who was a fifth-round pick of the Bruins this past year. A defenseman Cole Spicer, the Bruins' fourth-round pick. Um, might see him a little bit as well. Um, you know, Lysel, Harrison, as I mentioned, uh, Mast. You know, it would be interesting to see what that roster looks like. Uh, maybe there's a chance that Mason Lorai is on that roster. Obviously, he had um, surgery in the spring, so he wasn't available to skate in uh, development camp. But maybe there's a chance that he um, is available for this rookie tournament. But I do think that it'll be a good opportunity for us to kind of get eyes on some of these younger Bruins players that, you know, maybe we see at the NHL level within the next couple of years, you know, great chance that we see Lysel in Boston at some point this season. I also would think the same thing for Beecher as well. You know, those are two guys that legitimately could crack the NHL rotation, possibly even at a training camp, you know, if they play well enough. So, that will kind of be interesting to see. I don't expect Brett Harrison to be cracking the Bruins roster this season, but um, he's a kid that I think a lot of people are excited about um, in the Bruins organization. So there is uh, some other Bruins things that I wanted to get to. Um, there have been some things on Twitter, uh, mainly from uh, Ian McLaren, who's a, a great Bruins person to follow on Twitter. Uh, he does the uh, Locked On Bruins podcast. Uh, is definitely a uh, person that I would love to get on this podcast at some point. Uh, but he has been a huge proponent of 
uh, P.K. Subban and uh, bringing him in as a kind of right, right shot the depth on a uh, professional tryout, which I'll be honest, I don't hate the idea. Um, I think that P.K. clearly is a guy that has a lot of talent left. Um, and I think even at his age, he's still a guy that could give a team kind of some offensive pop. Um, I don't hate the idea because obviously with a professional tryout, there's really nothing there in terms of money. You know, you're just kind of seeing what a guy can do and you could bring him in for very little money. Um, the reason why I don't hate the idea on this team is because the Bruins are probably going to be starting the year pretty thin on the right side. You know, you have McAvoy who's going to miss a good portion of the start of the year. You know, Carlo most likely is going to be playing top pairing minutes with Lindholm. But then after that, all your other guys are left-handed except for Connor Clifton. And I think that there could be a legit chance that the Bruins do need some help on the right side. Um, it is great to know, though, that Mike Riley and Jakob Zaborl are, are able to play the right side, so it might actually be okay. But I do think that it wouldn't be the worst idea to bring in someone like PK. You know, I think that clearly he has his warts defensively. I think we all know that, but is a guy that I think you really wouldn't expect a lot from. You know, I think that is a guy that, you know, will jump up and get into the play offensively. Um, you know, and I think maybe he could do okay in this Bruins system with a new coach and or with um, with Montgomery. So, you know, it's certainly an idea, but I do think that the Bruins might want to see kind of what they have first, um, and it might just be, might not make a lot of sense. You know, money-wise, it also might not make a lot of sense, although, you know, a PTO is not something that's going to be... Uh, a player on a professional tryout is not going to be someone that's going to be making a whole lot of money. So it's not like you're asking PK to play at the $9 million that he was on on his previous contract. But, you know, who knows? I think it's something interesting to watch. Um, down in Providence, Connor Carrick is probably starting the year down there, but he's a guy that has a lot of NHL experience, you know, 250 games about. So he's another guy that you could see get an opportunity in Boston. But I think as I said, I don't hate the idea of bringing in PK. Um, I don't think I would bring him in. I just think there are too many questions. For me, I have too many questions about his defensive ability, and I just think that it might not, it just might not be worth the risk. But clearly, if it's just a professional tryout, it might not hurt just to kind of see what he's got and see if he can make an impact. So that will be something interesting to watch as we get closer to training camp. Uh, training camp does open on the 21st, so next week we'll certainly be talking a lot about that. We'll, you know, obviously update you guys on how the rookie tournament went for some of the youngsters, um, but it's an exciting time to be a Bruins fan. It is uh, almost about that time for guys to be reporting to camp, but I think it will be exciting to see some guys on the ice this week at the uh, captain, captain's practices and then see some of the youngsters at that rookie tournament um, obviously be looking on social media if there are any you know streams for any of these rookie games um, if you are interested in these uh, tournament games that come up later this week so I think that's going to do it for the Bruins we're going to take a look at the uh, revolution um, there's really no new Celtics news so 
I kind of chose to, to skip them this week. You know, clearly, uh, if there are any free agent news, um, we will keep you updated. But we're going to get to the Revolution, who um, unfortunately lost uh, Saturday night in New Jersey against the New York Red Bulls. Um, it's, it's hard to be, like, super negative because I'm always someone that tries to be optimistic on this podcast, but I think the Revolution uh, really kind of suffered a pretty devastating loss this weekend, you know, getting an early second-half lead on Tommy McNamara's goal um, and then allowing a couple goals by the New York Red Bulls, uh, one on a penalty kick, and the defense just kind of collapsed, I guess. But again... You know, that, that's a good New York Red Bulls team. You know, that's a team that's third place in the Eastern Conference. They're kind of far above where the Revolution are in terms of, you know, how they've performed this season, where they are in the playoff positioning. So <clears throat> I think that clearly they had limits on what they could do offensively uh, on Saturday with Carlos Heel having to miss the game for the birth of birth of a child. So... You know, it was too bad that the Revs didn't have him available, but honestly, even getting a goal on the road was kind of pretty huge, uh, for me at least. But then, you know, having the defensive breakdowns that led to a couple goals and a penalty kick, you know, it's getting down to the point that the Revolution cannot afford to have games where they don't get points. You know, and I think that it just seems like the urgency maybe isn't there. And I do think that, yes... It's legitimate that it's hard to expect a team to win when they don't have their best player, which is what happened on Saturday. But I just think that it may just not be in the cards for this team this season. And it's going to be hugely disappointing because I think that you look at how talented they were last season. They obviously lost a lot of talent this season. But I do think that there are a lot of guys that injuries have not allowed them to be playing consistently. You look at someone like Dylan Barrera or even someone like Gustavo Bo, who has played the last couple of games, but he's not really been available for the majority of this season. And it's a team that, you know, Carlos Hill is a great player, but you don't really have a lot of consistent offense outside of him. And I think that it kind of just might be the story of the season that they just have not been able to get their absolute best players on the field all at once. And, you know, they're clearly running out of time. You know, they got four games left, and they're three points out of the last uh, last playoff spot. So, you know, again, as I said, you can't afford any more games where you don't get points. You know, you absolutely cannot. Um, the Reds have a game this week against the Houston Dynamo during the week, and then will host Montreal Saturday. So, you know, it, it sounds pretty simple, but I think it's, win and you're in for this team. You know, they really have to win at least two of their last four games. They probably need to win three, you know, so it's not exactly difficult. You know, you got three teams, Houston, Atlanta, and Chicago, that I think most likely are missing the playoffs. Um, Houston is the worst team in the Western Conference, so a big chance there for the Revs. Um, but then you look at Atlanta and Chicago, Two other teams that are playing later this month or uh, later in October that are you know probably not making the playoffs, but then you have a good Montreal team, so it's like 
okay, you look at the revs, like, you have one game that's going to be challenging, but you are at home, but then you got three other games that you probably should get points and you probably should win. So it's not completely out of the picture, but the revolution cannot afford any more losses. Um, I think and I think one more loss probably puts them out of the playoffs. Um, you know, as I said, they're three points out, and so it's like it puts them a game out, and Columbus does also have a game in hand. That's the team the Revs are chasing. Um, they're four points behind FC Cincinnati and Orlando, so a couple wins could push the Revolution up, but I do think that they're pretty much running out of time, that they can't afford to lose any other games. Um, so as I said, game against Houston, Tuesday night at 8.30, and then the Revs will host Montreal Saturday at 7.30. So, you know, if it's going to happen, if this team's going to make the playoffs, it's got to happen now. You know, they got to get everyone in there. They got to get everyone to be as effective as they can be offensively and clean up the defense and... You kind of just got to hope and pray that it's good enough that not only do you win your games, but you get help as well. So it's unfortunate that the Revs are in the spot that they're in, but it is what it is. And I think that you kind of just got to hope that they play their absolute best soccer at these last four games and sneak into the playoffs and make it difficult for a um, for uh, one of the top seeds. You know, that's kind of just what you got to hope for um, at this point with this team. So um, I think that's going to do it for the Revs and do it for the local teams. We're now going to get into some, um, you know, bigger headlines. The NFL obviously kicked off this week. Uh, the Buffalo Bills with a dominant win week one against the LA Rams. We're going to go through um, each of the games this week that has been played. Obviously there is um, a game tonight in Seattle, the Broncos, We'll visit the Seahawks. Russell Wilson returning to Seattle. So there definitely will be a lot of uh, storylines in this game. I do not expect that this is going to be a close game. I think that uh, Denver blows out Seattle. I think that uh, Russell definitely has uh, some access to grind with the Seahawks after uh, being traded and maybe feeling like he wasn't treated the best by the organization. So... Yeah, I think the Broncos are putting up a lot of points tonight. Seahawks are uh, coming into this game with a patchwork secondary and an offense that I think does have some good playmakers in uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, but who's throwing them the ball? You know, who knows? Drew Locke, Geno Smith, you know, not really a group that gives you a lot of confidence with Seattle tonight and just with the rest of their season. So uh, Broncos are favored by a touchdown. I think the Broncos are definitely covering there. Um, I think it's going to be a blowout. I think Denver wins by at least two touchdowns. Um, looking at the rest of week one, obviously Bills blowing out the Rams week one. It was uh, a pretty impressive game by the Bills. You know, really no, no issues with how they played. You know, the Rams, I think, are a team that still have some talent, but I do think that it is a group that has lost a lot of talent, so... You know, I think uh, the Rams may not be as good as people think this year. I do think they're still good enough to be a playoff team. Um, I do still think that they win the division. But, yeah, this Buffalo team is really dangerous. You know, they're a team that, you know, if they are at their absolute best and they stay healthy, you know, they probably are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. 
I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl because I think the team that's favored to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season often doesn't win. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. But a big, impressive win uh, for the Bills week one in L.A. Obviously, the Patriots dropping the week one to the Dolphins. Uh, A couple of really close games that came down to the wire. You know, we talked a bit about the Steelers-Bengals game. Steelers get the win with a field goal in overtime. The Steelers had to, you know, take it to overtime despite getting four interceptions defensively. So, uh, big game for the Steelers. Big win for them week one against their uh, division rivals. The Bears with a a rain-soaked win over the 49ers, 19-10. Trey Lance really not impressive in this game. Um, San Francisco's offense had a hard time. But in fairness, so did Chicago's. You know, this was a game that... Yeah, I mean, it was, they were playing in a big rain puddle, basically. Um, and the field conditions in Chicago are just a joke. Uh, but the Bears get the win. You know, a pretty impressive kind of grinded-out win for that team. And the 49ers, a pretty disappointing start to their season. Uh, Saints and the Falcons. Saints used a 17-point uh, fourth quarter to come back um, and beat the Falcons 27-26. Will Lutz with the game-winning field goal with 13 seconds left. So the Saints uh, did not really play well for most of this game, but they turned it on in the second half. Uh, Jarvis Landry had a great game, seven receptions, 114 yards. So yes, he can still play. Um, So big win for Jameis Winston and the Saints. The Eagles with a win over the uh, Lions. This is a pretty wild game. The Lions... uh, Almost came back in this game, but the Eagles hang on to win 38-35. Big games for A.J. Brown. Uh, DeAndre Swift for the Lions also had a big game, 144 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, The Eagles had a pick six. You know, just kind of a weird, wild game, but the Eagles come out with the win, 38-35. The uh, Ravens taking care of the Jets. 24-9, 24-9, a good defensive performance by the Ravens. Lamar Jackson throwing uh, three touchdowns in this game after reports that he did not come to terms with the Ravens on a long-term deal. I don't think that that's really anything to be concerned about if you're a Ravens fan, uh, but the Ravens take care of the Jets. The Commanders with a comeback win over the Jags yesterday, 28-22. to Carson Wentz with four touchdown passes. Uh, led the team after they fell behind by a couple scores in the fourth quarter. Um, so big win for the for the Commanders getting the win over the Jags. The Browns with a game-winning field goal, 58 yards for Cade, War- Cade York. Excuse me. Um, as the Browns beat the Panthers 26-24. The Browns uh, getting a win in the Baker Mayfield revenge game, if you want to call it that. Um, so good win on the road for the Browns. Um, the Colts and the Texans played to a tie in overtime as uh, neither team could score in the extra period. The Colts missing a field goal uh, during the overtime period, but kind of a disappointing game for the Colts. You know, I think that offensively, a lot of uh, big numbers for Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, and Matt Ryan, but the Colts unable to get a win as the Texans, you know, hold on despite leading 20-3 to in the third quarter. Colts come all the way back, but they're not able to get the win as it ends in a tie. And the Giants, starting the Brian Dable uh, era with a win, 
as the uh, Titans missed the potential game-winning field goal. Uh, or, uh, Giants scored the go-ahead touchdown, or scored a touchdown, and then went for two for the go-ahead two-point uh, conversion, so a good win for the Giants to open the year. Uh, the Vikings uh, kind of thoroughly dominating the Packers yesterday, 23-7, Justin Jefferson, 184 yards and two touchdowns. The Packers uh, had a very tough time offensively. Aaron Rodgers had a bad game. So, you know, we'll see what goes on in Green Bay. I don't think it's really anything to be overly concerned about, but Minnesota played a very good defensive game and just a really solid all-around all win for them. Uh, the Chiefs destroying the Cardinals 44-21. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are just fine without Tyreek Hill as if there was, you know, anything to be concerned about with them. Uh, Mahomes 360 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, the Chiefs made it look easy yesterday um, as the final score actually made it look like it was closer than it was. Uh, the Cardinals scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but it was uh, all Chiefs in this one. Uh, the Chargers get a close win over the Raiders, 24-19. Derek Carr, two touchdown passes, one to Devontae Adams, but had uh, three interceptions in this game, so not exactly a great uh, debut for Josh McDaniels as the Raiders coach as they drop um, a big division game to the Chargers. And then last night, the Bucks kind of grinded out a 19-3 win. Uh, Mike Evans was solid. Leonard Fournette was solid, but he had to leave the game in the fourth quarter with, with an injury. And kind of the big news out of this game is uh, Dak Prescott will miss six to eight weeks with a hand injury. So things go, go from uh, bad to worse in uh, Dallas with a tough loss week one and then losing Dak Prescott. Just some other NFL notes. Um, as I said, the Steelers uh, believe that T.J. Watt has suffered a torn pectoral. So if that's the case, you're most likely not seeing him week two, which definitely uh, plays to the Patriots' advantage. Um, but I think that that's it for NFL week one. Patriots obviously take on the Steelers week two next week, a one o'clock start on CBS. So we're going to take a look at Major League Baseball as the uh, stretch run continues to make the playoffs. Uh, some notes here, the Dodgers, the first team to clinch a playoff spot with their 10th, or have, this is the 10th straight year that they've gotten to the postseason. Um, first team to clinch a playoff spot. Um, and Albert Pujols continues to climb up the uh, home run, career home run list as he passed A-Rod yesterday with his 697th home run, which puts him in fourth place all time. So very exciting time for Mr. Pujols and the Cardinals as he makes a uh, chase for 700 home runs as he is just three away. So we're now going to take a look at the standings with about three weeks left in the regular season. The Yankees still atop in the East, uh, still lead Tampa Bay by five and a half games despite uh, a second half kind of swoon, if you will. Uh, the Red Sox still in last four and a half games behind Baltimore for fourth place in the American League Central. Cleveland with a two and a half game lead over the White Sox. And then in the West, Houston still with a big lead, 11 games over the Seattle Mariners. You've seen a couple teams that have been eliminated from postseason contention, the Tigers and the Athletics. Uh, the Red Sox probably are not 
going to be eliminated quite so soon, but I do think that that obviously will come probably during the last week of the season or something like that. Um, the National League East has suddenly become a competition as the uh, Braves are just a game and a half behind the first-place Mets. Uh, the Cardinals eight games up on the Brewers, so they look pretty um, look like they're probably going to be a playoff team. Um, then the Dodgers, as we said, clinching a playoff berth, 20 games up on the Padres. Taking a look at the wild card, <clears throat> uh, Houston leads the uh, wild. Okay, I don't know why that says Houston and the Yankees. That's not what that should say. Um, okay, I'm not sure why this is reading as the Astros and the Yankees because that's not right. Um, okay, so we'll take a kind of quick look, I guess, I guess, I'm not sure why the wild card standings are not updated, um, but I think that it's Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Seattle that are in those positions, um, and a pretty healthy advantage for um, all three of those teams, as I think Baltimore, or... Yeah, Baltimore is the next closest team, and they're five and a half games back. So um, things look pretty good for Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Seattle to make the postseason in the National League. We'll take a look at the wild card. I think for some reason it's going to best record, um, but I'm not sure why. So the wild card spots, clearly <clears throat> the Braves are in that first spot. Um, and then followed by Philadelphia, and then the Padres, and then the Brewers look like they're about two games back. Um, so they're the closest team in terms of making the playoffs. But it looks to me right now that it's Atlanta, San Diego, and Philadelphia that have the best chances to be wild card teams. So moving into the NBA, the uh, Hall of Fame class was inducted over the weekend. Uh, Manu Ginobili, Tim Hardaway highlight, highlight that uh, group of players, coaches, um, and what have you. Swin Cash, Bob Huggins, Del Harris, uh, Lindsey Whalen, Marianne Stanley, George Carl, um, all inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, so, you know, Ginobili is the guy that I think I most remember, at least from, you know, watching him play with those Spurs teams that were great. But um, clearly, um, Manu, not only tremendous NBA player, but a tremendous international player as well from Argentina, um, was a guy that always played hard, you know, was a great player to watch and, you know, stayed around a long time, was a great longevity type of player. Um, it was great with the Spurs, um, Swin Cash, uh, Lindsey Whalen, both outstanding WNBA players, uh, Bob Huggins, also an outstanding coach for uh, West Virginia for many years. George Carl, obviously a coach for a couple of different NBA teams throughout his career. So uh, a great class there as they were all enshrined, but really no big NBA news other than the league did announce that um, they are expecting big uh, salary cap and tax jumps. Uh, for 2023-24, so the salary cap and the tax will be changing over the next couple of years. Um, so now we're going to take a look at some notes from the NHL. 
Speaking of the Hall of Fame, uh, Ryan Miller and a couple of other uh, American hockey players have been um, announced as the five electees to the um, U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Ryan Miller, obviously, tremendous career with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, so he headlines that class. Um, so this is the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, not the like official Hockey Hall of Fame. That kind of threw me for a loop. I didn't quite understand that when I read it. But um, announcements with uh, Disney and Turner Sports, so ESPN and TNT for the less discreet, um, both of those um, stations announcing the um, NHL schedule, so the broadcast schedule. Uh, Bruins are on both of those stations quite a bit this season. They do have a couple games on ESPN Plus, so you might want to think about getting a subscription so you can watch the game. Um, I was lucky enough to get one of those subscriptions uh, for Christmas, so um, but yeah, I think it's definitely something you should look into um, if you want to catch every Bruins game this season. Um, the Bruins will be playing the um, Winter Classic on TNT this season. That is January 2nd, and the Stanley Cup Final will be on TNT this season for the first time, so that will be uh, very exciting. A couple of other NHL news. Um, Tim Stutzla for the Ottawa Senators signed an eight-year contract to remain in Ottawa. Uh, Matthew Perot retiring from the NHL after 13 seasons, played primarily in Winnipeg and Washington. Uh, Caden Primo and the Canadians agreeing to a three-year deal. And the Canadians also announcing this morning that Nick Suzuki will be the next captain for Montreal. So now before we go, we're going to take a look at some college football, take a look at some games that happened this weekend. A couple of top teams lost, and Alabama nearly lost on the road to Texas. Uh, that was a pretty crazy game as Alabama using a last kind of a last-second field goal uh, to beat Texas 20-19. to Not a game that Alabama looked good in at all. So no surprise that they are no longer number one. Georgia is now number one. We'll take a look at some other scores uh, from this weekend. Marshall with the upset win over Notre Dame. Notre Dame drops out of the poll or drops out of the top 25 completely with that loss. A pretty shocking loss at home. Appalachian State also with a big win on the road against Texas A&M, sixth ranked. Um, so Appalachian State gets a big upset win. Uh, Tennessee had an overtime win over Pittsburgh, 34-17. Washington State with an upset win over Wisconsin, 17-14. So kind of a theme here, road teams pulling some big upsets. So taking a look at the top 25, Georgia is now first, followed by Alabama, Ohio State. Michigan and Clemson, that's the top five. A lot of teams making some big jumps. Uh, USC jumping up from 10 to 7. Kentucky jumping up from 20 to 9 after a win over Florida. BYU making a jump up to number 12. Tennessee making the jump from 24 to 15. Um, then three teams, Texas, Penn State, and Oregon into the top 25 after not being ranked the week before. So as we said, Notre Dame drops out of the, drops out of it completely. Texas A&M drops drops all the way from six to twenty-four. Baylor dropped to seventeen after the loss to BYU. Um, 
And then taking a quick look ahead to week three. A couple of games. Uh, 22nd ranked Penn State against Auburn. That's going to be a good test for Penn State on the road. Um, BYU and Oregon will play this week at 3.30. BYU 12th, Oregon 25th. And then let's take a look. You know, I know that there's one other solid game. Okay, there it is. 13th ranked Miami, 24th ranked Texas A&M Saturday at 9 o'clock. So uh, that will probably be the marquee game, marquee game of the weekend there. Um, one last little note I just forgot about that uh, Sue Bird uh, calling it, calling it, uh, calling it quits. I don't want to say calling it quits because that doesn't sound right, but um, I think it was announced that she was retiring after this WNBA season. So after the uh, storm lost in the WNBA playoffs, she's hanging it up. A tremendous career, you know, as we said with Serena Williams last week. You know, here's another athlete that just is synonymous with success, you know. Sue had all the success at uh, UConn, a tremendous WNBA player, um, and just a great career for her. So I just wanted to make a last little note before we let you guys go this week. So we'll be back for uh, Guest Friday later this week. Um, as always, you know, you can listen to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Follow the uh, social pages and uh, We'll be with you guys on Friday and have a great rest of your week.